Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Quizlet. Quizlet, of course, is the uh, show where we talk to normally our panelists for the upcoming Quizotron. This month has been weird. I'm going to level with you guys. Uh, the entire the entirety of San Francisco empties out in July, and uh, it was very difficult to find um, panelists. And those panelists I found are amazing, but extremely busy. So uh, we couldn't get Charlie Jane Anders to to come on. Uh, we will try to get a short interview with her later for you. Um, but so you know to to fill these these weeks where we don't have people on. Uh, last week, you heard from my friend Katie Mack. And this week, you're going to hear from another of my amazingly talented scientist friends. Uh, so welcome to the show, Karen James. Hey, Karen. Hey, great to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, can you can we start out by you telling people who you are, what your background is? What are your uh, give them your your CV? Oh, gosh. <laughs> the entire CV. Okay. No. Yeah. Okay. So um, I'll start with grad school. <laughs> um, I got my PhD in genetics at the University of Washington in Seattle, where I did biomedical research. And then I did a very long eight-year postdoc at the Natural History Museum in London. Where and, we met. Yes, it is. And um, I was doing more natural history research, uh, botany specifically, while I was there. So I kind of changed fields. I mean, I was still doing um, DNA sequencing and all that, but just with a different application, different research application. Um, and then uh, a while back, my partner and I moved back to the United States. We're both American. And... Um, he uh, got a job at the Jackson Lab here on Mount Desert Island in Bar Harbor, um, which is an amazing place to live. Um, and I got a job then too, a soft money job um, at Mount Desert Island Biological Lab. But my grant funding ran out and I was not successful getting another one. So now I'm kind of looking for a job and meanwhile doing a little bit of consulting and writing and teaching. You're a you're a bit of a free agent biologist now slash geneticist. Yeah, yeah. So some phrases people have come up with to describe scientists like me are rogue scientist or freelance scientist or self employed scientist or gig economy scientist. Oh God! Science. Yeah. So you go all through school and get all those accolades, PhD, postdoc, and everything, and then here you are. Right. Yeah. Well. Your life, I feel like, has been one interesting adventure after another. And we, you know, we don't see each other often, but we have so many, or at least I have so many great memories from the things we've done. Uh, starting when we met in London, uh, I was helping put together things for the amazing meeting in London. And uh, Karen volunteered to take groups of people into the bowels of the uh, the natural – is it Natural History Museum or Museum yes. of Natural History? Okay. I always get it confused. The first one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and to see like – because, you know, 
so many museums have these huge collections that they only show this tiny percentage of. And so Karen took us behind the scenes to see just the most amazing collections of, you know, things that Darwin collected are just in drawers back there. That was so incredibly cool. Yeah, um, it was definitely a really special time for me um, personally and professionally to get to go to work at a place like that every day um, and constantly be surrounded by those collections as a work environment, but also the people who work on them. Um, so it was great. I was just sort of finished living in London. Right. <laughs> hey, you and me both. We yeah. we left around the same time. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, now you're you're in Bar Harbor, and I got the opportunity to visit um, two years ago. Now I think already two years. Okay. Yeah, I know it's been two years since I, this is the last time I saw you. Uh, it was so cool though because you took me hiking um, through Acadia National Park, and the opportunity to be able to see nature with someone who knows so much about everything happening because that park is truly your home. I, I feel like you you seemed more at home there than any place I've ever seen you. I'd say that's true. I am a very much an outdoors person and London was always a little bit hard for me. And we did go on vacation to mountainous places and big places for hiking and backpacking and that sort of thing. But it was always, you know, kind of difficult to get there and difficult to get back. And then you sort of, I don't know, I always just thought that it would be much better to live in a place where there's all those opportunities and then to go on vacation to the city. Yeah. So that's kind of where I am now. And it's a much better fit for me and my partner. Um, it's kind of hard to imagine not living right next to a national park once you have. So, right. Um, that does somewhat restrict where we might want to go next uh, if, we, if we were to move. But yeah. right. um, actually, so I'm, I'm coming up on a big milestone with regard to me hiking in Acadia. So um, I have been keeping track of all my um, hikes, all my ascents of different summits here since 2010. And I, on a very low tech map in my kitchen with little push pins in it. I have seen it. It's adorable. Yes. It's like old school explorer (laughs) adventure. And I love it. I, you know, I thought a couple of times I've thought about making it a a digital map, but no, you know, I just, don't. I like the pushpins. Yeah. So, um, I am coming up on 500 ascents. Whoa. I only have three left. Before oh my. I reach the big five. Is there, are you going to have a party? Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of having a group hike unsurprisingly. Yeah. Um, and then following it up like with, with all my friends here and then following it up with a barbecue or something like that. That's awesome. When do you plan to do it? Uh, it'll be after. I'm, I'm going to Colorado for a couple of weeks on Monday. So it'll okay. be after that. I'm just wondering if it's too late for me to book a plane ticket to come out there. No, I don't think it's too late. You should totally come. <laughs> it, is, it is hilariously difficult to get to Bar Harbor. You know, I it had is. to take from San Francisco. I think I had to take 
at least two flights, possibly three. And then you get in to Bangor. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then I just had to hire some guy (laughs) to drive me (laughs) like two hours (laughs) to get there. It was, um, supposedly there's Uber now. Like there's one Uber. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I mean, they really, I, I guess that's part of its charm though. It's so difficult to get to that once you're there, it's like a magical hidden away place. Yeah. It's tough if you're not visiting for a long time because then you feel like you're doing all traveling and no visiting. But right. Yeah. And, and actually uh, it's just as hard to go out West to see our families as it was when we lived in London. So yeah. Even though we're now on the same continent and our families are probably happy that we're here. I think they are. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's not, it's not any easier. Right. To travel well. And so, not really cheaper. <laughs> no. Yeah. Like getting there was, I could have gone to the Dominican Republic. I, I did look up the, <laughs> what I, you I, I had to carefully weigh my options. Like, do I want to lounge on the beach and drink yeah. margaritas? Or do I want to bundle up and hike up a mountain with Karen James? And you know what? I said the latter. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I appreciated what you said about having like a guide who's a scientist because I am kind of tossing around the idea in my head of writing a book called Scientist Guide to Acadia National Park. Yes, I and would love that. And then my grand plan, publishers, are you listening? <laughs> my grand plan would be to then travel to different national parks around the country and spend time in them and, and around the world too, and spend time in them and interview scientists and um, natural and cultural resource managers and things like that and learn about the science that's happening there and maybe participate myself in some citizen science. And then you know, I might do one or two a year in the summer and write the write those up, you know, during the cold, dark winters. That sounds perfect. I would love that and because it also involves me having like an airstream. <laughs> of course, uh, with, you need one. Uh-huh. With, you know, one of those re- refurbished retro um, airstreams. Yep, those silver uh, ones that look like bullets, with like a science lab inside. Yes. I've thought it all out. <laughs> I love this. Can you bring the cat along? I hope so. I don't think she would. Well, I don't know. She is an indoor kitty. So as long as she was okay in the airstream. Yeah. Although the whole thing, it's kind of a small space. So it would probably smell like cat litter. Oh, uh, that's yeah. That probably wouldn't be so great. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, and if people are interested, um, if you are a, uh, a patron of mine over on patreon.com slash Rebecca uh, plug. You can see uh, from my trip a couple years ago, I took video of Karen talking about some of the geological uh, and biological facts about uh, Acadia as we hiked around. And I put those videos up for my patrons so you can check it out, but it's true. You know, it's so different visiting with you compared to uh, going alone to a national park where I might think like, oh, this is pretty, but I don't know 
you know, how long ago were glaciers here and what formed these particular formations? You know, you just had so many interesting facts that I never would have even thought of. So I, I would love a book series like that. You have to get on that. Okay. I'm on it. Good. Okay. That was easy. <laughs> Let's talk about DNA barcoding because okay. uh, that's a thing that we talked about on that trip too. You had just got this cool little machine uh, specifically for DNA barcoding. Can you tell people exactly what, what does DNA barcoding mean? So DNA barcoding is um, simply identifying what species a particular organism belongs to based on its DNA, on its DNA alone. Right. So um, there's a, a special database of DNA sequences from um, all the different plant, animal, and fungal species. Well, maybe not all of them yet, but getting close. Um, I think there's 5 million sequences now. It's called the Barcode of Life data database. Old, if anyone wants to Google it. Um, and so you, what you do is you read the DNA sequence with a sequencer of your organism that's, you know, where you don't know what species it is and you want to find out. And then you compare that sequence to that database and hopefully find a match and it tells you what species the thing is. It's so cool because, you know, in, in my head, when I think of DNA sequencing, I think of people like scientists in a lab, you know, in a clean room using specialized equipment that I would never understand. Um, but in this case, the technology is getting to the point where, I mean, it's almost Star Trek level where you can go out into the field with this little machine and collect DNA, right? Well, uh, yeah, so we're not quite yet, there yet. Um, we're, people are still mostly in the, in the labs. They're yeah. not always clean. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they're clean. Right. Um, but mostly people collect um, samples and then bring them back to the lab and extract DNA and amplify the DNA region that, that we use for DNA-based identification um, and then do all the rest of the steps in the lab and on the computer. Um, but this little gizmo that you mentioned, which is uh, the Oxford Nanopore Technologies Min-Ion Sequencing Device. Oh, yeah, the Minion. <laughs> I knew it had a cute yes, name, but I couldn't no, remember what no, it was. No, Min-Ion. <laughs> right, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's adorable. <laughs> I know. They brought it on themselves. <laughs> they should paint so, it yellow and really take advantage. <laughs> <laughs> Minions are hot. Idea. Yeah, maybe they can my, have that for maybe free. For my airstream. <laughs> <laughs> the whole airstream could be painted yellow. How about that? Wow. Yeah. You, oh, yeah. There's your funding right there. Universal, are you yeah. listening? <laughs> Is it Universal? I have no idea. <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, this um, minion, minion, is a tiny little DNA sequencer. Um, it's about the size of an iPhone, and it plugs into a computer by USB, 
and you put a purified DNA sample in it, and then it runs connected to the internet, and um, it reads the as much DNA as you let it. You can let it go for 48 hours or a week, or you might shut it off after two hours if you feel like you've got the data that you need. So um, you, could you yeah. sequence like an entire organism's DNA using that? If you yeah, let it go um, for long enough? If you let it go for long enough. I think when I've seen that, people doing that sort of thing, if they're trying to sequence a whole genome or resequence a genome, um, at kind of low coverage, then what they usually do is they have multiple min ions plugged in and they're running in parallel, or they use one of their kind of scaled up versions. They have these new bigger, it's like a whole bunch of min ions all stacked together. It's called the grid ion. And then there's another one called the Promet ion. <laughs> they're big, they're big on the, <laughs> big on the names, aren't they? They love the puns. Yeah. yeah. Um, and those can do a lot more in parallel. Um, you know, if you have 20, the equivalent of 20 min ions running at the same time, you're getting 20 times more data. Right. But for something like DNA barcoding, uh, it would, even one min ion would totally be overkill just for identifying one specimen. Yeah. So what, what you do to take most advantage of it and save as much money as you can is you multiplex your samples, which means you put little DNA tags on the DNA of all your multiple samples, and you, then you pool them and sequence the pool. And then later on your computer, you can sort out the different samples by the DNA tags. That's so awesome. So it allows you to, to um, not waste your resources and also you can do more faster that way. Right. How, how does all of this relate to citizen science? How does this relate to the average person who might be interested in getting into biological citizen science? I think uh, in a couple of ways, actually. Um, well, first of all, the Minion is pretty inexpensive. It's about $1,000 and it's probably cheaper now. Um, since I got mine and um, full disclosure, the last one I got was a freebie that I got at a conference. <laughs> uh, but last time I checked, they were about a thousand dollars and the consumables are what's kind of been more expensive, but those are getting cheaper all the time. And they're talking about coming out with a, they might already be out with it. I don't know. A, a new um, $20 disposable flow cell. And, um, once, once those are available, people, you know, nothing is stopping anyone from buying one and using it. Yeah. So in, in that sense, it's citizen science, totally independent with no, um, sort of guidance or supervision or anything. Someone could just DIY, um, their own DNA or their own garden or their own, I don't know, swimming pool or cat microbiome or whatever <laughs> they want to do. Um, and so that raises a whole bunch of interesting and thorny questions about ethics and data um, privacy. Um, and I mean, imagine if you got, say, your 23andMe results, um, but with no 
um, information about how to interpret them. Right. And you were just kind of on your own Googling. Um, so I think it's, and let's say you're sequencing your own genome and you think, oh gosh, okay, I'm going to Google this um, variant that I found. And then you see a paper about some kind of cancer or something. And then you think, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Right. When, when in fact, you, you know, it's, it's not like that at all. You have a, there's an association between that variant and that disease. And there's a, a percent association. And so you may not be getting that. Um, not that the current providers of, DNA, of personal DNA sequencing are necessarily providing the right uh, information. I don't know. I haven't done it myself, but, um, I do have, uh, that, that would be, that would be, uh, tricky. I think yeah. it will be tricky because it is going to happen. I, I do have 23 in me, which I also got for free at a conference. <laughs> Full disclosure. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, and I, I did find it really interesting and I've always kind of defended them in a way, um, because for, from my perspective as an amateur who doesn't really know much about DNA uh, and, and about reading these sort of results, I, I thought that they did a, a pretty good job of it, putting them into perspective. Um, I, I thought it was hilarious that I had to opt in to see things like my Alzheimer's sort of related genes and breast cancer and things like that. Um, but I could definitely see how there's really only so much guidance they can give if somebody doesn't want that guidance or can't process it for some reason. You know, I think there are some people who will just see, oh, burka, you know, I've got the burka gene, I'm going to get breast cancer um, without continuing to read, you know, they have all these pages, it's like a like a user agreement, you know, that people can just sort of skim through and click okay. And I think that that probably happens pretty often. So I don't really know what the solution to that is because I don't necessarily think the solution is to take away the ability for people to right. access this data, you know? Right. I think it's, I think there's a need for, um, you know, there's a lot of, for example, there's been a lot of ethical questions around uh, CRISPR, yeah. which is what my partner works on actually. And those um, ethical concerns, you know, they've had whole conferences around the ethics of CRISPR. And, and CRISPR is the gene editing tool, right? Yes, it is the um, gene editing tool that's really come on board in the last five years and has really transformed um, scientists' ability to modify organisms' genomes. Yeah, scientists and random anybody's, uh, right? <laughs> Well, there, yeah, there's the one guy who injected himself, I guess. But I think it's only a matter of time before someone dies um, trying to do that because they inject themselves with, like, a non-sterile right. agent or something. I It, it does worry me. Um, well, I don't think they're going to successfully CRISPRize themselves. <laughs> I think they're going to I think they're gonna get a bacterial infection. Right. <laughs> Yeah, there there was a guy actually who recently died, um, not from he he was one of those guys that famously injected himself on stage uh, with you know CRISPR edited things, uh, but amazingly he didn't die of that. I think I think he was just a sort of a risk taker in general, and I I think that maybe that's that 
type of personality. It's this that sort of showboaty tech bro type who wants to make a big splash and is going to end up with the poor consequences before anybody else. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's, he was among the earliest adopters, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, of the technology. But I think it, it shows that there's going to be a need for um, regulation. Perhaps the FDA would be involved. Uh, there would be a need for guidelines and you know, ethical um, oversight, I think, for all this. And that what that's true. I brought up CRISPR because it's true for CRISPR. And I think it's also going to be true. It is true for DNA sequencing. Um, you know, for example, you might DNA sequence a tick that you found on your body and find the Lyme disease pathogens DNA, but you don't necessarily know that you have Lyme. You just know that that tick carried Lyme. Right. Um, and so you might make a whole bunch of decisions based on that that are actually not correct because you didn't go to a doctor. Yeah. And where this intersects with our poor health insurance situation in this country is that if, if people are kind of DIYing their um, medical care, then that would open, that would sort of make the whole issue worse. I think that's exactly what I was about to say. Uh, yeah, it, it's both hopeful. Um, and at the same time, um, you know, doctors, go through all of that schooling for a reason. Uh, right. and speaking of, I just saw um, the suggestion online from Sexy Cyborg, who is a, a hacker in China, um, who's pretty amazing. Um, but she tweeted the idea of using a 3D printer. You could actually print your own birth control all you would need to do is get that, get the hormones, which, you know, could be tricky to do legally and safely. Um, just, just a little. But yeah, it's, it's, it's possible, you know, you can, you can print these. Um, she, she pointed out that it would be like printing those candy buttons that, that come on that strip of paper. You know, you could print yeah. your birth control like that, pop a button. Wow. So it's, it's, there's a lot of interesting things out there, but um, I I feel like we're right on the cusp of a lot of amazing uh, medical advancements, but the, the DIY part of it is going to be, I think, I I do think people are probably going to kill themselves more often than we would like doing it. There's going to be, yeah, there's going to be, I guess, a, uh, early growth adjustment period. Um, and yeah, bad things are kind of like with space and travel, then, actually, now that I think yeah, about it, I mean, it's, there's so many parallels to it. Yeah. Um, across technology and science over history, there's, you know, like cars is another one. Right. Um, self, all these people were dying because of no seatbelts and then, we finally figured out seatbelts and then a lot fewer people. Right. Well, uh, Karen, it's been 30 minutes, so we should probably wrap it up. I've taken up enough of your time. We didn't even get to talk about how you saw a lion. 
I know. I know. We didn't talk about that at all. So, <laughs> do you want to talk um, about that real quickly? Went, yes, I do. <laughs> I got to get the lion in there. So I went to uh, the International DNA Barcoding Conference in Kruger National Park in South Africa in November. And oh, these conferences are always in great places. They're every two years. And the next one's going to be in Trondheim in Norway. So this is really the best conference. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, so in, in South Africa, it was uh, five days or so of conferencing, but in the evenings you could go on game drives and things like that. And one day I went on one uh, with a couple other people at the conference and a fully grown male lion walked out of the bush into the road. And just kind of sniffed us, looked at us. And we're in one of those open-sided um, safari truck things. Oh, my God. And and there's this lion walking towards us. And I saw your photo. He's like five feet from you. <laughs> He's Yeah. And the, the, the ranger, and you're with armed rangers on these drives. Yeah. The ranger, though, is saying, um, you know, Everyone keep your hands and like, you know, keep your arms inside. Don't lean out. Um, but he's, he's not being aggressive. So we're safe. <laughs> well, that's a relief. Okay. I guess we'll take your word for it. <laughs> Did you DNA barcode him? Well, I didn't, but at this conference, there was this amazing talk and I feel bad not knowing or not having the guy's name on the tip of my tongue right now. Um, about a project where they're sequencing the DNA they collect from watering holes oh. to find out what animals are visiting the watering holes. Neat. Because, like, if a cheetah comes along and drinks water, some of its saliva comes out right. and goes into the watering hole. That's awesome. And so, so for the next, you know, maybe 48 hours or week or so, there's some cheetah DNA in there. And it slowly degrades over a period of time. And so there's a whole network of um, artificial watering holes in Kruger National Park that have camera traps um, next to them, motion, motion activated cameras. Right. And so what, what this group is doing is comparing their uh, DNA barcoding data from the water they collect there with the camera trap data so they can see, for example, can they detect a single solitary hyena or something? And how long does that DNA remain intact in the water? So they're going to sort of develop a, a method for tracking wildlife in watering holes um, that is pretty um, precise. Yeah. Could they? Yeah. So that was really exciting. Would they be able to tell um, how long ago it had been based on how deteriorated the sample is? That's a good question. Maybe um, it would probably depend on the sequencing platform that they're using. So there's a whole bunch of besides the min ion, there's a whole bunch of different sequencing technologies, right? And different researchers are using different technologies. And some of them are more and less prone to errors. And so, you know, it would depend kind of on the post-sequence processing that you do, whether you detect um, degradation or that sort of thing. Yeah. 
and and how would you tell the difference between um, a lot of DNA and that was two cheetahs? Less DNA could be right. two cheetahs a longer time ago, or one cheetah more recently. Right. <laughs> I get to so, that could get so, tricky. Yeah, um, but you know they're trying to work all that sort of thing out. One funny thing was they said that if they um, I think it was a rhino. If a rhino comes along, um, then your experiment is basically ruined because it just plops into the watering hole and displaces the water. <laughs> <laughs> and then the watering hole sort of has to fill back up. But by then, all the previous uh, animal's DNA has been washed out. Right. So it's like a do-over. <laughs> like shaking the etch-a-sketch. Oh, no. Rhino. I can't remember if it's rhino or hippo or elephant. Anyways, there's one of those big, big, big animals yeah. um, uh. causes that little uh, experimental glitch. <laughs> well, Karen, thank you so much for chatting with me. Um, you have to let me know when you're going to write a book about Yosemite or, you know, one of the other natural, we have a lot of good national parks over here. So yes, you yeah, do. you just give me a heads up when you're going to be out here and then we can actually have you on Quizotron. Uh, so people can oh. enjoy more of you. Yeah, that would be really fun. <laughs> um, I'll add that to my vision for how it's all. Thank you. Work. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much for being here, Karen. Have a great day. All right. Thanks for having me on. This was fun. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.